John 6. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 6. We'll go verses 66 to 69. I'll be reading from English Standard Version. Someone like English Standard Version? All right. Here's, here's John 6, 66. After this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, as has been shared uh, by our worship leader, today is the first Sunday of Advent season. Uh, if you, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Woohoo, Advent. Now, Advent is a season that invites us to take a deep breath. You guys want to take a deep breath? And we take this breath to celebrate the real reason for the season. You know, Christians throughout history have embraced the tradition of Advent. Now, the word Advent, it comes, uh, it's derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. And so the season of Advent is a way of, of observing and celebrating the coming of our Savior, Jesus, God's own Son, God himself, in fact. This Jesus who entered the world in the most humble circumstances. He was born in the cold. He was born in the dirt, surrounded by farm animals. And he continued to live his life in humble service, even giving his life in service, in pain and humility on the cross. So we celebrate all these things. We remember all these things. But Advent, there is more. We remember who he is and what he has done, but also we remember in Advent, in this season, that he is coming again. Advent. And so we remind ourselves that this world is not the end, but Jesus will return to restore all of creation. Amen? All right, so... In our uh, first Sunday of Advent, on this theme of hope, can everyone say hope? Let's say it again, say hope. Um, I've got some movie quotes up here that use the word hope for us to look at. We look at the first one. Uh, you guys remember this? Matrix Reloaded, the, the architect. He says that hope, hope is the quintessential, I don't know, I don't remember how he talks. The quintessential human delusion, simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. Okay, that's one way of thinking about it. Next one, remember Red, Shawshank Redemption? If you've, read, if you've seen this movie, raise your hand. Man, some of y'all haven't seen this movie. Oh my gosh, such a good one. Hope is a dangerous thing, he says, because they're in prison. He says, hope can drive a man insane. Next quote. Yeah, Leia. Hope is like the sun. This is a good one. If you only believe in it when you see it, you'll never make it through the night. Unless you live in Alaska, I guess. 
Okay, last one. Here's this one's like famous, right? Help me, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, you're my only hope. What are some things that you are hoping for? You know, we're we're closing in to the end of the year 2022. Maybe there were some things at the beginning of the year that you were like, oh man, I, I hope, I hope this, I hope that. Is there anything that you hope for this year? Or maybe you can think, was there ever a time when you were so content, so satisfied, so confident that you didn't actually hope for anything? Have you ever been in that kind of season? And maybe actually you didn't realize it, but then in that moment you probably hoped that things would remain as they are, right? That hope that life would continue like this. Or maybe if you're one of those crazy adventure, like, uh, you know, adrenaline junkies, maybe, maybe you hope that things would change. We have a lot of hopes. We use that word a lot in our daily lives. I hope she says yes or he. I hope to get in shape this year. I hope to finally get that raise I've been working so hard for. I hope I can pay rent this, this month. Have you, have you ever felt that? I just, I just need to pay rent this month. I hope Korea wins the next World Cup. Is that a good hope? Is, like, is, that, is that realistic? I don't, I don't know. A lot of upsets, right? I, I'm, I, like, I don't watch a lot of sports. Um, football is one of the last ones. Um, but, I've, but I've seen a lot of upsets this, this year. People didn't even have to hope for Argentina, right? Like that was like a given. But it didn't happen. So I guess, right? Anything's possible. Maybe you've said, like, I hope, I hope this new job will bring purpose and meaning to my life. I hope this haircut makes me feel better about myself. You know, right? we have all different kinds of hopes. And, and a lot of our pursuits are driven by hopes, and even a lot of our addictions are driven by some kind of a promise of a hope being fulfilled. I hope this or that will make me feel better. Now, most of these, like if we look at them, these statements and these thoughts, most of them, they're things that are in our heart that we desire, but they're not much more than wishful thinking, right? They're not much more than, man, I hope, it's like a wishful thinking, hoping that something would happen. Or positive thinking or optimism. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that or even bad about that, but is that what hope is? And now what I can say for certain this afternoon is that that isn't the type of hope that we've lit a candle for today in this first Sunday of Advent. Because Advent is pointing us to something else. It is pointing us to the hope that the Bible offers us. Let me try to connect, uh, connect some of this to our passage. So in the passage that we read today, we kind of just read as, as things were happening and, and we got to this point where, where people that had previously been following Jesus turned and were leaving Jesus. And they were actually collectively called the disciples. Now normally when we think disciples, we think of the 12, 
but there was actually a multitude of people who followed Jesus, and they were all called disciples. And they were all following Jesus for some reason or another, right? Just imagine yourself, like, if you were to leave work, leave, like, the things that you're doing every day, that, like, your normal life to follow somebody, you, you would have a reason to follow, right? You would have some kind of hope. Man, that person has something, and you would follow with some kind of hope. Now, I don't know exactly what these crowds, what their hopes were. Maybe some of it, part of it was. Earlier in the chapter, it says that the crowds, after they had seen Jesus do this amazing miracle, uh, uh, that they wanted to take Jesus by force and to make him king, to force the Roman Empire to, to, uh, to, to overthrow the Roman Empire and to put Jesus as their king by force. Now, that, maybe that was part of it. That was part of their hope. But also, earlier in the chapter, this, this great miracle that Jesus, uh, that Jesus had performed, Jesus had been ministering to this large crowd, and instead of sending them away, or instead of trying to collect a bunch of money to, to try to buy some food to feed everybody, there's 5,000 people, instead of doing those things, he had them sit down, and he multiplied bread and fish, and he fed 5,000 people. And everyone that was there and everybody that heard about it was like, oh my goodness, this is something great. This was an incredible miracle. And as a result, the people wanted to make him king. And they also came back to Jesus hoping to get some more bread. Hoping to get fed. And Jesus calls them out in verse 26. If you have a Bible, if you've got your app, and you open up John chapter 6, we're going to kind of be hitting some of these passages, some of these verses. John 6. And in verse 26, Jesus calls them out. He says, you seek me not because of the signs or not because of who I am, but because you want to fill your belly. Now, this is, uh, this is my paraphrasing. It's probably not in your, in your translation this way. But because you want to fill your bellies with more bread. And so Jesus continued teaching them. And then he challenged their hopes and challenged their ideas of who he was. And what he said was too hard. It was too hard. And that's why in John, uh, in, in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, when they heard what Jesus was saying, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with, walked with him. They turned back and they left. They stopped following him. What was this hard saying? What was this thing that was too hard? We'll get to it a little bit later, okay? But just know, many turn back and no longer walk with him. Dang, they just, they just leave. Even after seeing those amazing things, they just, they just leave. And so Jesus 
he asks the 12, do you want to go away as well? Verse 66, Simon Peter, he responds, he answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now what may not be so apparent to us is, but I think it's there, that Peter and the other disciples, they probably thought about it. They probably considered, like, what are we doing? We don't know half, we don't understand half the stuff that this guy's saying. He's, He's dragging us all around doing this and that. Like, man, what are we doing? Maybe on that boat ride, just maybe just the night before, maybe that day, like maybe weeks before, maybe they've been thinking about it, like, should we leave too? But see, in the end, their conclusion, there was nowhere else for them to go. There's nowhere else for them to go. To whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So if the disciples, if Peter and the disciples, if what they were aiming for, what they were staking their lives upon, what their goal was, if it was life, then there was nowhere else for them to go. John Piper phrases it this way, Peter's response. Uh, He says, uh, as Peter's response is, Lord, wherever we look for another Lord, another way of life, another friend, another philosophy, another view of God, another salvation, another meaning, they all come up short. We can't walk away. You have the words of life. And so Peter and the other disciples, they're like, there's nowhere else for us to go. We don't get, we don't get you, Jesus. You've got a lot of hard teachings, but there's nowhere else for us to go. And for a lot of us, what kept Peter and the other disciples with Jesus is the same thing for us. We might not have all the answers. We might not not have all the problems figured out. We may be confused at times. We might even be offended, like, what, the Bible says this? What, God God wants me to do that? We might, like, and yet, where else can we go? To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Or maybe it's actually it's helpful to ask yourself. I think it's, it's actually it's helpful to ask yourself. Or you might have experienced this. What would you do if what Jesus is saying to you is too hard for you to listen to? Was that an awkward sentence? What would you do if what Jesus says to you is too hard? Like, no, I don't like it. I don't want it. What would you do? If what Jesus says isn't within your preferred framework, if it seems counter to what you think would bring you true happiness, would you leave him? Or would you pause and realize that where else, 
where else can I go? Where else can I go? I need Jesus. I want to hold that thought. I need Jesus. Hold that thought, and we'll go back. What was the hard saying? What was the teaching? See, Jesus is all about life. I would say life with me. Jesus is all about life, eternal life. And throughout his teaching in John 6, Jesus repeats it over and over again. Verse 26, after calling the people out for wanting their bellies full, Jesus says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 47, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus is all about life. He's all about eternal life. And the people are like, okay, okay, cool, that sounds good, but how do we get it? What works do we have to do? What do we have to do? And Jesus says the work is simple. Now, it's not easy per se, but it is simple. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus. But what does this believing look like? Jesus says, it looks like eating his flesh. It's like, what? Verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It's like, what? Jesus, that sounds like um, cannibalism (laughs) or zombie apocalypse. It doesn't sound like life, does it? But that's what Jesus, like, he says it over and over again. And he's pretty uh, articulate about it. Jesus insists, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, if you're new to church, you're like, what in the world? Where am I, right? If you've been in church for a while too, like this is like, this is weird, right? It's weird. And then the only explanation that Jesus gives us is in verse 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And this afternoon, instead of trying to explain it myself, in just a few moments in our service, we're actually going to enact it. 
We're going to do it. But first, let me wrap up this sermon. Whatever small H hope you may have, do you see that Jesus is our capital H hope? Now see, the 12 disciples, when faced with the question, are you going to leave too? They asked themselves, they asked themselves the question that only Jesus could answer. Where is eternal life? Because that's what Jesus was all about. Right? Whether he was feeding 5,000, whether he was healing physical bodies, making blind eyes see, all of it was to point to eternal life. And there's nowhere else we can go. And you might have looked around. You might have checked out some other philosophies, some other ways of thinking, some other religions, some other beliefs. Like, you might have gone, you might have checked. And the thing is, the thing is, this is what I believe. If you start becoming convinced that other hopes are more important, that other hopes than eternal life, that other hopes are more important than actually these other beliefs that swirl around us seem to be more attractive because they kind of they fit the systems of ideas and thoughts that are swirling around us. And so maybe it's appropriate to ask ourselves that same question we asked at the start, what are you hoping for? But a better question is actually, in what or in whom? is your hope. If we know that eternal life is the real thing, the thing that flows throughout all time, that, trans- that transcends time and ideas and values, then we come again to that same response. There's nowhere else we can go only Jesus. Only Jesus. And see, this is also how we as the local church, as King's Cross, can live as the hope of the world. Did you guys know that the local church is the hope of the world? That sounds like a very proud thing to say. But see, the church does not always have the right resources or the abilities to engage all of the various needs in the communities around us, right? But what does the church cling to? What do we cling to? We cling to Jesus. What does the church offer? We offer Jesus. And with Jesus, capital H, hope is what we have. Operation Christmas Child, right? You heard that testimony you know, like seeing the joy of the kids' faces as they're opening up the toys, and toys are awesome. That's, that's, that's awesome. It's really awesome. Toys, toothbrushes, all these kind of useful things to give them. It's awesome. But what does the church have to give? Why is the church the hope of the world? Because we have Jesus to offer. Capital H, hope with Jesus.
So grab a box today, fill it up, send it, and let's see if God will use this box to bring good news of great joy. We might have considered this question, man, what, what would I do? Are you going to leave too? And, and we might be thinking, we might be riding the fence here and there every so often. Doubt starts to pull us and creep over. And how do we stop riding the fence of unbelief? Of considering whether we want to go somewhere else, follow something else away from Jesus. How do we finally rest in him? As we read verse 63, Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The words I have spoken are spirit and life. We can finally rest in him because Jesus gives us his spirit. And so I pray that this would be like our response. And every time we start kind of thinking, thinking like, oh man, like what, this doesn't make sense. God, I don't, I don't like this. You, you ask yourself, you, you, you respond, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. And so this Advent season, we celebrate the glory of Jesus' birth, his life, his love, his service, his grace, his humility, his kingship, his mercy, his justice. And we also, we celebrate because it's all in view. We celebrate Good Friday, his death on the cross for our sins. And we celebrate Easter, his victory over sin and death because we have received his grace. It is Jesus who pours out his grace over us. It is Jesus who must keep us. Jesus will not go away from us. In this Advent season, we celebrate, church, the reality of his coming return. That is our hope. That is eternal life. Let me pray. God, I pray that we would be able to examine our hearts, our thoughts, and our thinking, the stuff that is swirling around us, God, the confusion, the questions, the distress, the worries, the hopelessness. God, can we Bring all of this to you. And God, can we confess this? Lord, where else can we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. You are the word of life. You are life, God. You are life, Jesus. May this be our confession, God. And as we confess this, Lord, would you stir in each of us the joy of salvation of everlasting life. And God, may we as King's Cross be a church that is the hope of the world. Amen. Church, we're going to uh, move into a time of communion. 
And it really flows together because, again, John chapter 6, it's like Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. He says that he is the true bread from heaven. I'm going to read this passage, verses 53 to 57. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. See, Jesus gave his life as payment for the forgiveness of our sins. See, he paid for the punishment that our sins deserved. And in communion, we practice with our senses and our minds and our spirits that we need Jesus, that we belong to Jesus, and that Jesus is in us. So as we take communion this afternoon, As Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and may we abide in Jesus. Now some logistics, Pastors Hungman and I were standing down here.